Well, my name is Jake Snowden. I'm on staff here at Epic, and thanks for being here to gather in person with us. And if you're joining us from home, just want to say thank you so much for worshiping with us from wherever you are at today. Now, uh, we're called Epic Church because we have an epic God, but sometimes we, we do some epic things like that just for fun. But it's more than just for fun. There's a reason why we would play a secular song like that uh, in a Sunday morning service. And, and that's just because the words of that song are going to lead us into the message that we have for today. And how many of you can relate to a song like The Boulevard of Broken Dreams? You know, some of the lyrics in there will, will resonate with your soul. And as you look back on your life, you'll feel like you've spent a lot of your journey on a boulevard of broken dreams. When I think about that song and I consider the lyrics, I walk a lonely road, the only one that I have ever known. Don't know where it goes, but it's home to me, and I walk alone. Sometimes in our brokenness and on the road of life, it begins to feel like home being alone and feeling broken so often. And as we uh, wrap up this series on broken, you know, over the last few weeks, we've explored many different things in life that make us feel broken. And today we're going to conclude that series by talking about our broken dreams. The song goes on to say, I walk this empty street on the boulevard of broken dreams where the city sleeps and I'm the only one and I walk alone. And if you're here today and you feel like you're on this journey and you've been doing life alone, I want to give you some encouragement. And first of all, let you know you're not alone. Many of us in this room have walked a similar journey where we, we've gone down a boulevard of broken dreams for not just a short season, but for some of us, a long season throughout our lives. And I do want to let you know that God is with you every step of the way, whether you can feel him today or not. I want to encourage you that he is there. But if you can close your eyes and, and think back 10, 20, 30, for some of us, maybe 40 or 50 years, and think of all the dreams that you once had. Think of all the things that you have hoped for. And maybe when you look back over your shoulder over this, and you see this journey of life, and you see a boulevard that is filled with broken dreams, you, there may be some ideas that never came to fruition. There's, you're going to see moments of failure. For some of you, you're going to see doors of opportunity that seem to briefly open up. Everything in your life pointed you down that path. And so you take steps of faith and you begin to go down that path and yet it ends in brokenness. For some of you, when you look over your shoulder, you see seasons of life where maybe you worked your tail off to accomplish something, something you had dreamed about for years, only to have it end in disappointment and brokenness. And as you walk down this road, this boulevard of broken and shattered dreams, maybe you feel like God has let you down. Maybe you feel like God is nowhere to be found. You feel all alone. And you feel like all hope is gone. And so you continue to sing the lyrics of that song, my shadow's the only one that walks beside me. My shallow heart's the only thing that's beating. Sometimes I wish someone out there will find me. Till then, I walk alone. Sometimes it does feel like you are all alone on that journey. Your life has broken down so much, and God is nowhere to be found. But I, I do know that God is there with you, and he will reveal himself to you if you look for him. Now, growing up, I had, I had many dreams. Um, anybody ever dream of being an athlete when they were a teenager, a professional athlete? A lot of you had, had similar dreams, right? Well, I loved playing basketball as a kid. 
And I would play literally like eight to 10 hours a day. I'd play till I couldn't even see anymore. And you almost got hit in the face from a pass because it was so dark outside. And, and the gyms would close early, like eight, nine o'clock in our city. But I still wanted to play some more. And so my, my father saw this passion. So he, he put in a basketball court in our backyard and even put some floodlights up on the, the house that sh- uh, shined down. And so I could continue to play basketball literally till 11, 12 o'clock at night. And I would just play and play and play. Love, love playing basketball. And I had a dream that one day I would become a professional basketball player. Now, I was a little bit undersized uh, for my age growing up. However, I had huge, gigantic feet. I had like a size 12 or 13 in like seventh grade. And everyone always said, don't worry, someday you're going to grow into your feet. Well, they were liars. I never did. I just looked like a clown for much of my life. The rest of me finally did grow a little bit. Uh, but but I, never, you know, I never became 6'4", six, 6'5", six, like most people who have that, that large of a foot have. And so I was always a little bit undersized, but I had grit, I had perseverance, and I loved to play, and I put in a lot of time. And so ninth grade came around, and I was determined I was going to make the team at our, at our school. So I, I tried out for, for our team, and only to get cut. Anybody been cut from a team? That, that's hard, right? You know, you feel like, oh, okay, but it's okay. I'm gonna, it just means I got to train harder. I got to eat better. I got to run more, more conditioning, more drills, more dribbling. And I tried out my 10th grade year only to get cut again. And I'm like, oh. But I was like, it's okay. Michael Jordan got cut when he was in 10th grade. I'm not Michael Jordan. Anyway, (laughs) but I was determined. So I I try again. I practice more. I come back as a junior trying to make the team once again. Now, at this point, these kids who'd made the team the last couple years, they're used to playing together. They know the playbook. So I always felt just a little like I had it against me. But I tried hard, got cut again. I was frustrated getting cut three years in a row. So I went to the coach and I said, hey, look, coach, you know, these guys on the team, they are better than me, a little bit. But it's because they know the playbook. They know how to play with each other. Can I come to practice even though I'm not on the team? And so he gave me permission to do that. So my 11th grade year, I, I practiced with the team all year round, came back as a senior, finally made the team. It was awesome. So I was really excited about that. But one thing I noticed throughout my senior year is I was fighting to get minutes to come off the bench as the sixth or seventh man. Somewhere in between that 11th and 12th grade year, I saw that dream of becoming a professional basketball player kind of like slip away. Just wasn't going to happen. You know, no matter how hard I tried, I just was a little bit behind the curve. And so I saw that slip away. And that's a hard moment for anybody who's dreamed to be a professional athlete, that moment where it's such a small percentage who actually make it. And when you realize this is as far as I'm going to get. And I remember realizing I'm not even good enough to where I'm going to be able to play college ball. This high school level was as good as I was ever going to make it. So I felt like that, that dream kind of came and went. Now, during those high school uh, days, I had many other dreams come and go. Um, as I saw my basketball dream come to an end, I started to think about, you know, maybe going into college or going into the military. But I was a little bit undecided on, on which path to take, as many high school students are. So I decided to explore those routes. I started talking with uh, the military recruiters in our town, and the Air Force looked great. I found this pararescue program, jumping out of helicopters, pulling people out of dangerous situations. I'm like, that sounds awesome. I'll do that. And so I started down that process, took a bunch of tests. But when it came down to signing the final signature, and they were, they were just unwilling to guarantee that that would be the actual job I would get after basic training, that kind of caused me to pump the brakes on that. And so I decided not to sign the next four years of my life away. And so I kind of shifted a little bit toward college, maybe. And so during my junior year, my parents and I, we were in upstate New York. We drove down to North Carolina 
to check out some colleges. And the one college I really had, had thought about going to was Duke University. And so came down, toured the campus, fell in love with it. There was just one little issue, though. My SAT scores weren't quite Duke quality. They weren't even like just under, they were kind of, there was a big gap between where I needed to be and what was good enough uh, for Duke University. And so I, during my senior year, I had a really close friend who became my best friend. He'd already, he was a year ahead of me, he was going to university, and he pitched this idea, what about after you graduate, let's move to California? And so I thought, well, that sounds awesome. I think California will accept me. And so, so I decided, hey, let's go to California. That's going to be great. And so I put the military on hold. I put uh, college on hold. I'm in California. Uh, get involved with a great church. Start serving in ministry. At our church, I'm going attending the college ministry, although I'm not taking any college courses. But I was college age, so I'm in this ministry with a bunch of college kids. Um, and as I'm in those first couple years after high school, I kind of look back and I felt like I'd let some of those dreams slip away of going into the military, of going uh, into university. Eventually went on and did some film school uh, in California. But as I, as I look over my shoulder and I glance back at what appeared to be a boulevard of broken dreams, I can't help but notice over the, the 25 some years, what a windy and curvy road it's been. There've been a lot of ups, been a lot of downs. I'd say more downs than ups. Um, but also as an adult, there've been many times where I've chased down a dream. And as I chase down those dreams as an adult, it changes because now it doesn't just affect me, it affects my wife and kids. And so if I chase down a dream and I feel God calling us to go and serve with a church in a different city or a different state or across the country, that means I'm uprooting my wife and my kids and our family. And so over the years, the 25 plus years I've been in ministry, we've lived in Vancouver, Canada. We even moved back to upstate New York, my hometown, and, and stayed there for about a year. We moved back to where I was, uh, grew up, uh, Los Angeles in my teenage years and, or early 20s, then led down to a church in San Diego, and then back to Anaheim, California, a couple hours north. We even did uh, about six, seven months of ministry in Fort Worth, Texas. And I realized real quick after being in Fort Worth, Texas, Texas was not for me. I, I needed some beaches, I needed some mountains, and Texas just was not it. And so, but when we moved there, we fully believed that God was calling us to go do ministry in Texas. And then just some things fell apart and it didn't work. It didn't have that connection that we thought. And there was moments where as we moved around from ministry to ministry and job to job, it felt like, God, where are you? I thought for sure you were leading us down this path. I thought for sure that when we bought a home and put roots here, we'd be here for the next 20 years. And then only two or three years go by and you realize, oh, that's over. God has something different for us. And so my boulevard of broken dreams, it's, it's led me to many different places. Oftentimes, it's left me feeling lost, lonely, hopeless. Oftentimes, very confused. Sometimes, I even began to question the calling that God had on my life. But, but looking back at the, those brokenness, looking back at the, those shattered dreams, when I look back and I see that God, through that brokenness, has allowed me to play a small part in other people's story. And although that doesn't make it all better, it reminds me that maybe God was up to something else. Now, the truth is, as we consider everyone in this room, everybody watching online, we all have hopes. We all have dreams that we pursued. But for some reason or another, they just didn't work out. Maybe, as you can relate with some, some of my examples I shared, you just kind of let it slip away. Maybe you were asked to leave a position. Maybe you just decided to give up and stop pursuing that dream because it 
created such a toll on you and your family mentally and physically. Maybe you were told you weren't good enough, you weren't smart enough, you weren't qualified enough. Maybe for some of you, you actually accomplished that dream. But then when you accomplished that dream, it wasn't quite what you thought. And so you're like, I worked my entire life to get here, I got here, and it's not it. And you felt broken through that accomplishment. Maybe for some of you, you've been chasing that same dream and you're still in that chase, chasing that same dream for years, even decades, but yet you've experienced setback after setback. And every time your dream gets crushed, you gather all the broken pieces and you try to glue them and push them back together to see how that can further that dream and keep that dream alive. Well, in the New Testament, we find the story of a man named Paul. And Paul, he had a dream. He had a dream to visit Rome where he wished to preach the gospel. And then after preaching the gospel and visiting the church in Rome, he was going to move on to Spain and plant some churches in Spain. And so if you're not familiar with Paul's journey, you can find, you can read about uh, his story and his journey in the, basically the second half of the book of Acts from chapter 9 till the end. And Paul, he would experience many setbacks on his way to Rome. We're going to look at some of those setbacks today in the book of Acts. But before we head to Acts, if you have your Bibles or Bible apps, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 1. Let me give you a little context here on the book of Romans. Romans was written by Paul in the year 57 AD, give or take a year. And Paul, he's in Corinth while he's writing this letter to the Romans. And he's at a really interesting point in his ministry career. At this point, Paul, he's on his third missionary journey. He's planted numerous churches um, all throughout Galatia, Antioch, Lystra, Ephesus, uh, Philippi, Thessalonica, Corinth. And if you recognize a lot of the names of those cities, it's because there's books in the Bible which are actually letters written to the churches in those cities. And so Paul, he's actively been spreading and teaching and planting churches, spreading the gospel of Christ for 25 years. That's a good chunk of time. Who's been in the same career field for 25 plus years? That's a good amount of time, right, to be doing the same thing, kind of going after this, the, same, the same path. So we find Paul, he's in Corinth on his third missionary journey. He's almost on a mini sabbatical, and he has a, a pretty, he's had a pretty intense 25 years, let's face it. And we find him on this lull in Corinth, writing a letter to the church in Rome, a church that he's never been to. Um, so he's never visited the church in Rome. He's writing this letter, and what he's intending to do is to send this letter ahead in preparation for saying, hey, I'm going to be there soon. Can't wait to get there. So Romans 1, beginning in verse 8, says, let me first say, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith in him is being talked about all over the world. God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night, I bring you and your needs in prayer to God, whom I serve with all my heart by spreading the good news about his son. One of the things I always pray for is the opportunity, God willing, to come at last to see you. For I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. Verse 13, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to visit you, but I was prevented until now. So have you ever had plans? Yeah, we, we've all had plans. Turn to somebody and say, I had plans. I have plans, right. So what were your plans when you graduated high school? 
What were your plans when you accepted what you would consider your first real job? What were your plans when you bought your first home? Did you ever think when you bought your first home that you would end up selling that home, leaving it and going somewhere else? What were your plans? And we, we've all had plans, we've all had dreams, but as we all know, sometimes life happens, doesn't it? And so maybe when you look back at your life, you're very surprised at where your life has taken you. You may have gone through valley after valley. You may have suffered setback after setback, broken dream after broken dream. But oftentimes what we see in the moment is the broken dream. When we look back over our lives, you can look at that broken dream, but only when you get so much space between you and that brokenness are you able to see it. You're able to look back and say, wow, God was doing something. God used me at that moment in my brokenness to impact someone else. You see, quite often God has us doing something for him. He's preparing us for something greater. And he's using us to impact people along the way. But in the moment, it feels like brokenness. So if you're taking notes, you can go ahead and write this down. You are who you are today, not just because of the mountaintop moments, but also because of the valleys. So let's pick it back up here in verse 13. Paul says, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to visit you, but I was prevented until now. I want to work among you and see spiritual fruit, just as I have seen among other Gentiles. For I have a great sense of obligation to people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated and uneducated alike. So I am eager to come to you in Rome, too, to preach the good news. So Paul, who's a Roman citizen, he's been in ministry for 25 years. He's never made it to the church in Rome. And this guy travels for a living, right? Like, what has been the holdup? How is it possible that within his 25 years of ministry, through all his ministry journeys, his journeys never led him to the church in Rome? Well, Paul says here in verse 13 that he planned many times to visit the church in Rome, but every time something prevented him from coming. You know, sometimes Paul was prevented because God had other plans for him. God was leading and directing Paul to places where the gospel had never been preached. And Paul writes about this at the end of his letter in Romans 15. He says, my ambition has always been to preach the good news where the name of Christ has never been heard, rather than where a church has already been started by someone else. I have been following the plan spoken of in the scriptures where it says, those who have never been told about him will see, and those who have never heard of him will understand. In fact, my visit to you has been delayed so long, it's been delayed so long because I have been preaching in these places. So sometimes our dreams, sometimes our plans can change because God is at work, because God has something else in store for you. But we also have an enemy out there who knows the path we're on. And sometimes the enemy likes to get in there and stir up trouble. Can I get an amen? You guys have seen that in your life too, I'm sure. So, and Paul writes about this in 1 Thessalonians 2. He says, we wanted very much to come to you and I. And we tried again and again, but Satan, but Satan prevented us. So here, Paul, he's held up in Corinth, writing a letter, which would be known as the book of Romans, to the church in Rome. He sends this letter on ahead until he can get there. So from here, once Paul writes the letter, he continues on, finishes up his third missionary journey, makes it to Jerusalem, and then he's beginning to have his plans for his fourth missionary journey, which will lead him to Rome. However, 
once again, Paul's plans are going to get disrupted. If you, turn your bio, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 21. In Acts chapter 21, Paul has arrived in Jerusalem. And he has gifts and offerings that he delivers to the poor that had been collected on his previous journey. And he's only been in, a, in Jerusalem for just a few days, and then he gets arrested. So he gets arrested because some Jews noticed Paul in the temple, and these Jews stirred up the entire crowd. It says in Acts 21, 28, it says, these men were yelling. They yelled, men of Israel, help us. This is the man who preaches against our people everywhere and tells everybody to disobey the Jewish laws. He speaks against the temple and even defiles this holy place by bringing in Gentiles. Like, how dare he bring Gentiles into the temple? Now, just for the record, here at Epic Church, you are more than welcome to bring visitors into church, into this cafeteria, into this temple. It's an open invitation. And you know what? They don't even have to be perfect. In fact, the more imperfect, probably the more they're going to relate to the rest of us, right? And so you have an open invitation. You can bring Gentiles. You can bring outsiders. All are welcome to come here and worship. See, the Jews, they wanted to keep the temple as this place exclusive for them to worship. And so when Paul was inviting Gentiles into their house of worship, they didn't like that. And so they, they riled up the crowd. There's this whole scene here. And so um, in the midst of this riot, some soldiers come in and they bind Paul with two chains. Now I won't read the whole text here, but this is a pretty intense scene. Paul gets bound uh, by the temple guards. They put him in chains. They're literally dragging him up the stairs. And as they're dragging him up the stairs, Paul's like, hang on, wait. Before you take me away, can I speak to the crowd? And for whatever reason, they concede and they say, sure. So, the, so they let Paul speak to the crowd. And what does Paul do? Paul, in that moment, decides to share his testimony you know, and if you know Paul's story, he once was a devout Jew like those who were against him. But now he's preaching to the Gentiles because in his testimony, Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus. He had plans to go to Damascus and actually kill Christians and put them in jail. But God showed up and changed his plans in that moment. And so here, Paul, he's, he's sharing his testimony and they're all listening up until a, up until a certain point. And so in Acts twenty two twenty one, 21, it says, Paul's speaking and he says, but the Lord said to me, go for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And the crowd listened until Paul said that word. Then they all began to shout, away with such a fellow. He isn't fit to live. They yelled, they threw off their coats and they tossed handfuls of dust into the air. And the commander brought Paul inside and ordered him lashed with whips to make him confess his crime. He wanted to find out why the crowd had become so furious. So when they tied Paul down to lash him, Paul said to the officer standing there, he said, is it legal for you to whip a Roman citizen who hasn't even been tried? So, oh, snap, Paul's a Roman citizen. That's something they did not know. They're getting ready to whip this Roman citizen and he hasn't even been tried. So it's a good thing they didn't flog him yet. Over the next few chapters, Paul's gonna have a hearing before the Sanhedrin, a trial before Governor Felix, his successor Festus, and then eventually before King Agrippa. Now, has anybody in here ever had some frustration with the court system? <laughs> a lot of laughter, a lot of hands going on, right? Typically in the court system, things take a little bit longer than we would hope for, right? And it was no different back in Paul's time. Now, at one point, uh, Paul's in prison waiting for his trial, and two years go by because they're waiting for Paul to offer him a bribe. 
Two whole years go by just because of that. So two years go by. Paul, he, he's being tried before Festus. You can go to Acts 25 here, and he's going to appeal to Caesar here. In verse 12, Festus conferred with his advisors and replied, very well, you've appealed to Caesar, and to Caesar you will go. Now remember, Paul had a dream. He had dreamed to go to Rome, but I'm sure his plans of getting to Rome never included getting arrested, being detained in prison, uh, in court for several years, and then finally getting put on a boat full of other prisoners headed to Rome. Let's flip over to Acts 27. That's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time today. So Paul is finally on his journey to Rome, but it's as a prisoner. As you'll see shortly into their voyage, sailing had become difficult. A storm was brewing. In Acts 27, verse 10, Paul gives them a warning. He says, men, I believe there is trouble ahead if we go on. Shipwreck, loss of cargo, and danger to our lives as well. But the officer in charge of the prisoners and the captain of the ship, they ignored Paul's advice. How often in our lives do we ignore the advice? You know, the word of God is full of warnings. It's full of advice. If we would just pay attention to the warning signs from the spiritual mentors in our life. Pay attention to the word of God. You know, sometimes our dreams get shipwrecked because we simply fail to pay attention to the warning signs around us. Now, in this life, there are many different kinds of storms, emotional storms, physical storms, mental storms, financial storms, relational storms. And these storms, they often set you off course from realizing your dream. Looking at the past few years of Paul's ministry, you could say that he endured many different kinds of storms. Paul clearly faced relational storms as he had many different people plotting to kill him. Paul faced physical storms as he was stoned, at one point nearly stoned to death. He's been beaten, been persecuted over the years. And then for the past several years, Paul's sitting in prison waiting for his trial. Now, I, I know if... If I was in a prison as an innocent man waiting trial, I might be good for about two or three days. And that'd really be stretching my patience, right? But at some point, you're going to start to see sides of Jake where you're like, I didn't know he could be that rude. And I'm going to start treating, you know, the things that I'm going to start saying. I'm going to start crying out to God. I'm going to start probably being a little rude with the, with the jailers, um, maybe even some of my other inmates. You're going to see a side of me because that patience is no longer there. We're talking two years. Paul's forgotten about for two years while they're just awaiting. Maybe he's going to give us a bribe, maybe not. Let's go down to verse 14. The storm's coming. It says, but the weather changed abruptly and a wind of typhoon strength, called the Northeaster, burst across the island and blew us out to sea. The sailors couldn't turn the ship into the wind, so they gave up and let it run before the gale. Down to verse 18, the next day, a gale for, as gale force winds continued to batter the ship, the crew began throwing the cargo overboard. The following day, they even took some of the ship's gear and threw it overboard. The terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars until at last, all hope was gone. If I was Paul in that moment, I'd probably be thinking, there's no way I'm ever making it to Rome. I've given up on that dream. It's over. It's not happening. I might not even see tomorrow. But he realizes not even as a prisoner is he going to make it to Rome. All hope was gone. 
Have you ever gone through moments in your life where you felt like all hope was gone? Have your hopes and dreams been beaten and shattered so badly it seems like you'll never be able to recover, you'll never be able to put your life back together? You know, we all have hopes, we all have dreams, we all make our plans, but sometimes the storms of life crush those hopes. Sometimes the storms of life crush those dreams. Well, church, we were never promised a trouble-free or storm-free life. But here's one thing I can promise you. God is faithful. God is faithful. He will be with you in the storm, and he will bring you through the storm. Verse 22, after they lost all hope, something happened in the middle of the night that restored Paul's hope. It restored Paul's hope and it gave him courage. And so Paul stands up in front of everyone and he says, take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. For last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. And he said, don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage. For I believe God, it will be just as he said. So for 14 nights, this storm had raged on. They're taking a, a beating on the Adriatic Sea. The sailors are sensing that they're, they're approaching land, so they start taking soundings. They, they, they find they're 120 feet from, from rocks, and then it's 90 feet. They're getting closer. Verse 29, fearing that they would soon be driven against the rocks along the shore, it says they, they threw out four anchors from the back of the ship and prayed for daylight. Finally, their only option is to abandon ship. Have you ever had that moment in your life, the only option is to abandon ship? 276 people abandoned ship, treading water, trying to find their way to shore, grabbing onto any piece of wreckage that they can find. You know, sometimes it's the fragments of the wreckage. Sometimes it's the fragments of our broken dreams that become our flotation device that help keep us alive. See, God can use what is broken down around you to save you and sometimes to save someone else. 276 people on board and they all reached land safely. When Paul had dreamed of going to Rome, there was no way that Paul ever had dreamed that this would be his journey. Riots, arrest, imprisonment, and now a shipwreck. If you flip the page to Acts 28, verse 1, once we were safe on shore, we learned that we were on the island of Malta. The people of the island were very kind to us. It was cold and rainy, so they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. As Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on the fire, a poisonous snake, driven out by the heat, bit him on the hand. The people of the island saw it hanging from his hand, and they said to each other, a murderer, no doubt. Though he escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to live. Man, Paul just can't catch a break. I mean, arrested, imprisoned, shipwrecked. Now he's bitten by a viper? If you ever catch yourself complaining about your life, just go read the second half of the book of Acts. You'll be amazed at what this man endured. Let's go ahead and continue here on in verse five. It says, but Paul, he shook the snake off into the fire and was unharmed. The people waited for him to swell up or to suddenly drop dead. 
But when they had waited a long time and saw that he wasn't harmed, they changed their minds and they decided, well, he must be a god. So near the shore where, where we landed was an estate belonging to Publius, who was the chief official of the island. He welcomed us and treated us kindly for three days. Verse 8 says, as it happened. Everybody say, as it happened. As it just so happened, Publius's father was ill with fever and dysentery. Paul went in and prayed for him, and laying his hands on him, he healed him. Then all the other sick people on the island came and were healed. So I want to I pause right here and just talk for a moment about perspective. See, perspective, perspective is the lens through which we see the world. There's a quote by Irving Berlin that says, life is 10% what you make it and 90% how you take it. Philanthropist Sir John Lubbock said it this way. He said, in this world, we do not see things as they are. We see them as we are. Because what we see depends mainly on what we're looking for. You see, so often in life, when I look behind me, I see a long, windy boulevard of broken dreams. I, I see many areas where my life didn't work out, where my dreams shattered. I, I got frustrated. I got irritated. There's times I got mad at God. But you see, that's what happens when our eyes are focused on ourselves is the main character of the story. That's what happens when we get concerned with how the story affects us. But, but church, if we could just scale back to like a 10,000 foot view, a 10,000 foot perspective and see that maybe, just maybe, we're a part of someone else's story. Maybe our, our lives are part of God's plan. Maybe our lives are part of God's direction and God's providence and then maybe we would have a different perspective when our dreams don't work out, when our plans don't work out, when our hopes and dreams get shattered. See, Paul, he had hoped and desired to go to Rome, but he never dreamed that he would go there as a prisoner. His plan did not include getting arrested, having to share his testimony before governors and kings. His plan did not include having to get shipwrecked on an island. But here on this island called Malta, an island that was never part of his plan, God is able to use him to be a part of so many other people's journey. Without this shipwreck, Paul never lands on this island. Without this shipwreck, Paul never gets bitten by a viper, which opens up an opportunity for him to be welcomed into the home of Publius. Without this shipwreck, Paul would have never been in the same room as the chief official's father who was dying of dysentery. Without this shipwreck, Paul is never able to place his hands on this man and heal him. Without this shipwreck, Paul would have never been able to heal everyone else on the island who needed healing. You know, sometimes I think we need to be thankful that our plans don't work out, that they don't work out the way that we had planned. And you might feel like your dreams have been shipwrecked, but I want to encourage you today and say, maybe God has something better in store than you planned. Better than what you could have ever planned or imagined because our eyes were too focused on what we wanted to be accomplished through our lives. 
And so some of us need to change our perspective today. We may need to shift our focus off ourselves and consider for just a moment that God is not playing a part of your story, but you're playing a part of God's story. There may be some people in here today, some people watching at home online, and you need to be shipwrecked on someone else's island because God wants you to fulfill a greater purpose in their life. You may be here today and maybe God is wanting to change your perspective from focusing on your problems to focusing on his purpose. You may think you're in a storm today because God has forgotten you. When in fact, you're in a storm because God is using you. Today, you might view that storm, you might view that as a broken dream. But when you look back on your life, you're gonna have that 10,000 foot perspective and you're gonna say, wow, in that moment that was so brutal, where I felt like all my hopes and dreams were being shipwrecked, God was using me to play a part in someone else's eternity. Let's finish up the story. Let's, let's see if we can get Paul all the way to Rome today, right? Verse 11, it says, it was three months after the shipwreck that we set sail on another ship that had wintered at the island, an Alexandrian ship with the twin gods as its figurehead. Our first stop was Syracuse, where we stayed three days. From there, we sailed across to Regium. A day later, a south wind began blowing. So the following day, we sailed up the coast to Petuli. There we found some believers who invited us to spend a week with them. And so we came to Rome. And so we came to Rome. What a journey. The brothers and sisters in Rome had heard that we were coming and they came to meet us at the forum on the Appian Way. Others joined us at the three taverns. When Paul saw them, he was encouraged and thanked God. Verse 16 says, when we arrived in Rome, Paul was permitted to have his own private lodging, though he was guarded by a soldier. Remember Paul, he wrote that letter in Corinth many years ago, sent that on ahead to Rome. That was six years ago. But now Paul is finally in Rome. And while he's in Rome as a prisoner, he's able to live under house arrest. He's able to go on and write a few more letters. He does some of his most inspirational writing while he's chained to a jailer. He writes Philemon, Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, all while under house arrest. These letters would be some of his most inspirational writing. Many of you probably have some of these verses in your home, on the walls, on your desk. They're uplifting and inspiring, and that came from a place of brokenness. Here's just a sample from Philippians 1. Philippians 1.12 says, And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Let me just paint the picture here for you. While Paul's under house arrest, he's able to have visitors in. He's able to do some writing. But the entire time, he is chained to a jailer. This isn't just a little house arrest ankle bracelet. When Paul eats, there's a jailer chained to him. When Paul sleeps, a 250-pound jailer, probably snoring right beside him. When Paul uses the bathroom, you, you get the story. Anyway, so, but here's what I love about Paul. Though he's in chains, 
he sees it from a different perspective. As you saw with the shipwreck, perspective is everything. Paul looks at his situation. And rather than looking at his situation that he is chained to a guard, he says, no, no, no. That guard is chained to me. Every six hours, the new guard comes in and takes a shift. Guess what? He's sharing the gospel with someone new every six hours. That guard is chained to me. And Paul becomes, he says in that verse, so many in the palace God, in the palace guard had put their faith in God because he's not chained to his situation. He's shifted his perspective. I'm going to be a minister of the gospel for the next six hours to whoever's chained to me. So as you look back on your boulevard of broken dreams, here's a few questions I want you to consider. One, how can I grow from this? We're always going to learn more from our mistakes. We always learn more from our failures than we do from our successes. How can I grow from this? Number two, who can I bless through this? Why am I in this situation? Who is around me in this brokenness? Who can I bless through this? Number three, how is God using me to play a part in someone else's story? And number four, how can God be glorified in this? How can God be glorified in this? You know, sometimes life doesn't play out the way we hoped or dreamed. You might be thinking, you know, I thought I'd be married by the time I turned 30. I thought I'd be further along in my career. I thought we'd have more savings put away toward retirement. Well, yesterday afternoon, I, I just returned from spending nine days at Duke University. I just completed my very first intensive while pursuing my Master of Divinity at Duke Divinity School. Now, 28 years ago, when I went down and visited Duke and had this dream and told, yeah, your scores just aren't quite high enough, what if I had gotten accepted? Ministry was not on my radar as a 17-year-old. There's no way I would have joined their, it's not like I was anti-God or anything, but I probably wouldn't have gone into their divinity school. Duke is, is consistently a top rated, one of the top 10 rated universities in, in the U.S. But when it comes to their divinity school, they're number one in the U.S. I didn't know that. But, but throughout my, my journey that God had me on, I was able to do ministry without formal education, just from a practical experience for 20-some plus years. Finally, a pastor said, hey, Jake, I know you went to film school, but if you want to go to Bible school, we'll pay for your education. And so they, they paid for me to go to Bible school, and I did that through Liberty University Online. And then I started my master's at Liberty, and then somewhere in there, I, I decided, you know what? I'm going to just a shot in the dark, I'm going to apply to Duke and see if I can get in their top-rated divinity school. And I, I got a letter back last December and I didn't make the first round of acceptance, but they said, we'd like you to write a supplemental essay. So I wrote another essay. And then mid-February, I got a letter saying, we'd love to have you a part of our divinity school. And so now I'm on this path here in my mid-40s, fulfilling a, a dream, but in such a different manner, in such a different light, because I have this life experience. And so a dream that I had considered broken and dead as a teenager... God brought back 28 years later, but in such a different context. Able to study with top-notch divinity scholars and so blessed to be a part of that. One of the things I noticed while I was up there this past nine days 
Within my cohort, there were people ranging from ages 25 to about 65. All over the map. And I was encouraged that for many people, these were people who continued to dream, who continued. They probably had setbacks along their way, but at whatever stage of life they're in now, they feel the calling to explore their education when it comes to theology and divinity. And sometimes when it seems like our dreams are broken or they've slipped away, God's just taking you on a different path to get there because he wants you to impact different people along the way. Paul finally got to Rome. It wasn't how we planned or dreamed, but God used Paul to play a part in so many other people's story along the way. You may feel like your dreams have been shipwrecked, but maybe God has something better in store. And as we close today, I want you to remember this. God is not playing a part in your story, but you're playing a part in God's story. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. Many of us got to have a history where we can see that boulevard of broken dreams that we've walked down. We know what it's like to experience that hurt, that brokenness, to let dreams slip away. Many of us know what it's like to feel like we've been told we're not good enough, not smart enough, or maybe you need to leave this organization. And so we know brokenness, Father. But God, I, I pray, Lord, I invite you, Lord, to speak to us and show us how we can change our perspective to see how we fit in your story and how our lives are a part of what you have for us and not the other way around. So God, when we're in those moments of brokenness, let us notice the people around us and say, maybe you have me in this moment of brokenness to talk to this person, to have this conversation, to share my testimony in this moment. Father, thank you that we're not alone. Thank you that, Lord, in those moments of shipwreck that you are with us and we can have courage. Lord, and we know that you will provide pieces of wreckage for us to hold on to and you will bring us through the storm. In your name we pray.